Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Will we finally get a decision on the SEC football schedule? It will be among the topics on the table for debate at SEC Spring Meetings next week in Destin, Florida. Also, is Urban Meyer lying in wait for Texas Longhorns job? Urban made some interesting comments earlier this month. But first, a little disharmony in the ACC and what that could mean for the SEC. Welcome into SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. Back in the saddle this week after I was off last week on vacation and John, I returned to, high, to find that the, uh, the brotherhood in the ACC, not so strong. ACC spring meetings were last week, and reports surfaced out of those meetings that seven members of the conference, half the conference, have explored the league's grant of rights that runs through 2036 and tried to find if there's any holes in that agreement. <laughs> See whether they could slip out the side door and join the realignment carousel. Of course, I'm thinking maybe there aren't many holes in that realignment agreement because uh, here they are, all still in the ACC. I'm sure some uh, uh, elite attorney will be willing to uh, look for those holes for a small fee, of course. Gladly dive into that. It might be a little smaller than what it would apparently cost to leave the ACC. I mean, it, it was it was a year ago now that ESPN reported the exit fee for a school leaving the ACC would be $120 million. And uh, that was ESPN reporting that. And I would think ESPN would know, considering that grant of rights agreement with the ACC is with ESPN. That's their media rights partner. So it's, uh, it's no small chunk of change to leave. And also you're forfeiting as big a deal probably as, as the cash it would cost to leave, you're forfeiting your media rights through the end of the deal, which is 2036. So, yeah, I think it seems like that that media rights deal is pretty strong. That's why we haven't seen any movement from ACC schools. Of course, the SEC raided the Big 12 when its grant of rights was expiring and got Oklahoma and Texas. The Big 10 did the same to the Pac-12 when their deal was expiring, got UCLA and USC. And and that's what those grant of rights deals do. I mean, they they provide you long-term structure for your media rights distribution, A, but B, they protect your numbers inside your conference and make you a little bit less vulnerable to raids. But it, it, it sure seems like uh, the ACC, certain members, including Florida State, Clemson, and others have woken up and said, hey, we don't like being number three in the pecking order of media rights distribution. Um, yeah, imagine if Texas A&M were in the ACC and you told a prominent booster, uh, we're pretty much shackled to this league with this uh, contract. Uh, it's $120 million we'd have to pay to get out of it. His response, of course, would be, is that all? 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Be, oh, yeah. Beware Jimbo Fisher, right? <laughs> yeah. We let's go write a check right now and get this done, huh? Exactly. But in Texas A&M, not in the ACC. And, and uh, so far, none of those schools have been willing to make a move on that. Just flap their wings a little bit and leak out there that uh, they're looking at that contract. Uh, the seven members, according to reports, John, that, that have had a, had a look-see at the strength of that contract are Clemson, Florida State, Miami, North Carolina, and North Carolina State and Virginia, and Virginia Tech. And so, as we've discussed, getting getting out of this contract is, is clearly more difficult than getting out of uh, your junior high relationship. You can't just walk up to your, your boyfriend and girlfriend and say, well, it's not you, it's me, but actually it's you. Uh, there is there's legal terms here that prevent you from, from doing that. It's like, uh, you got to appeal to the old head of the, head of the Church of England and say, I want a divorce, and, and your fate rests in their hands. Well, Sorry, you're stuck. You're you're married with them. You got to go slinking back to your spouse. Um, but somehow, if 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 one of these ACC schools could could get out of this deal, of the seven I mentioned, surely some of those would have some appeal to the SEC, right? I mean, for now, it seems like the SEC is content with 16. Greg Sankey is, is certainly putting forward that image, but he hasn't slammed the door shut on realignment if the topic comes up he basically says we feel good about 16 and we'll see what the future holds and and also he has mentioned publicly the issue of the ACC grant of rights essentially saying he hasn't said these words but that that leads you to believe well maybe if they were available the, the SEC would be interested but they're not available they're under contract well what if one of these schools could find a way out of this deal John of those seven, who who do you think the SEC would would have some intrigue in? North Carolina certainly, Clemson and F- Florida State for obvious football potential, and really uh, both programs have been very good in other sports at times. So those to me would be obvious. And through the years, uh, those schools have come up for discussion when expansion was a topic. Um, and one of the things I was always told that uh, Florida and uh, South Carolina and even Kentucky didn't want their in-state rivals in the SEC. It was sort of a uh, yeah, a superiority deal. We're better than you, and we are better situated because we're in the SEC, and you're just in the ACC. We don't want – so I'm sure those – schools work together as a group and uh anyway it it never happened i mean when you go back to when when the sec first expanded in 1992 uh i mean clemson and florida state florida state was in the midst of a football dynasty at the time under bobby bowden in football i mean that that was much talked about but uh, florida wanted no part of that What's kind of funny about all this uh, grumbling from inside the ACC, John, is that uh, as it stands, the ACC's third in media rights distribution. They're being dwarfed by the the SEC and, and Big Ten with the big deals that they have, have struck in recent years. But the reality is 
that's where the ACC stands, right? I, I feel like it's being paid in, in the order in which the conferences are worth, right? You know, I mean, right now the, the SEC and, and the Big Ten are the big dogs in uh, the college athletics landscape. It doesn't mean teams from other conferences can't succeed uh, in a variety of sports. But uh, those two leagues are, are the big dogs and the ACC is third. And so, you know, they're complaining about where they stand, but I think they're being paid in, in direct, uh, in fair compensation with, with where uh, they fit in the landscape. I also think, John, you know, media rights distribution is, is a relevant piece of the pie, right? And, and everyone in college athletics, if, you, if you're an administrator, you work in, in, the, in the university system, this is big business. You're, you're chasing the almighty dollar. But I don't know how much revenue directly translates to wins in, in say, football. Um, it, it has something to do with it, right? You're not going to be ranked 130th in the FBS in revenue and uh, hoisting the trophy at the end of the season celebrating a national championship. However, if revenue equaled national championships, then why hasn't Texas A&M won one since 1939, right? So I, I don't think it's the end-all, be-all uh, particularly in this moment where, as it stands currently, that uh, ESPN revenue is not going directly into the athletes' pockets. You can't call Johnny Football down to the office and say, hey, we got all this money from ESPN and our media rights distribution. Here you go. Here's some of this money, Johnny. Uh, thanks for the big season. I mean, that uh, the way it's done right now is in name, image, and likeness. So my thought would be if you're losing in the media rights battle, you better go out there and build the biggest, baddest NIL collective. Uh, and and you better hit the, the recruiting trail and, and the transfer portal with that NIL money and say to heck with the media rights distribution and, uh, you know, paying our staff a little bit more, bringing in a 109th analyst to, to work alongside the 108th analyst already on staff. You just you just get this big, bad NIL collective if you're if you're Florida State or as we've seen Miami already do. And uh, you compete on the NIL front and say, yeah, we're not making as much in media rights, but guess what? The athletes want to know how much uh, NIL money's coming to them. Well, if you're a North Carolina fan, uh, would you want to devote most of your NIL money to football? Uh, I mean, probably the biggest boosters would, based on the tradition and history of that program, uh, the biggest boosters would want to uh, – would want to go out and get a seven-two Serbian center who could yeah. also bring up, uh, bring the ball up court, make uh, great passes, and uh, have a nickname of the Joker. Uh, I, that that's kind of what I, I think. And also, you can have more. You're dealing with fewer players. You can your money can be. You get more buying for your bucks in basketball than you do football. You start ta- talking about of funding an eighty-five man football program that's that's you know that well that takes texas a&m money for for a lot of schools so uh well i I think think, we saw that play out at miami john right in the ncaa tournament both on the men's and the women's side nil had a hand in miami making deep runs in in both the men's and the women's tournaments because as you said you got a you got a a strong functioning nil program with a with a big donor like miami has that can make a huge impact on a basketball roster in, in, in a small amount of time. 
Yeah, you go get the Cavender twins from Fresno State, and you're in the Elite Eight of women's basketball. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, I, I think I think North Carolina just is just its brand would be a really nice addition to the SEC. And however, I just Clemson and Florida State would too. And we always talk about being a good fit. They fit perfectly in the SEC. And, you know, from Florida's point of view and and, uh, South Carolina's too, uh, you're playing those schools anyway in football. So you can't, I mean, that's pretty much done. So you might as well have the the games count in the standings and, 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 uh, find some patsy to play in your non-conference schedule. Uh, So, and things have changed a great deal too with just the overall expansion. So I don't know if teams, if those programs would be that vehement about keeping their in-state rivals out of the league. I I know uh, Tennessee is very happy to have Vanderbilt as an in-state rival. I think it has great respect for that rivalry. Um, So, uh, yeah, but just think about it right now. Florida State on the uptake. Clemson's had two national championships and I guess the last eight seasons maybe. Put those teams in the SEC. Bring them in at the same time you bring in Texas and Oklahoma. Sorry, Big Ten, but you're now a distant second. Well, and, and, and that touches on a point I wanted to go next, John, and I wrote about this recently. If the ACC were to splinter, and again, this is a big if, if, if it were that easy, probably the ACC probably would not have uh, as many members as it, as it does in this moment. But if it were to splinter, to me, the motivation for the SEC to go out and expand and gobble up some of these, these schools we're talking about, Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina, you're playing defense there. I mean, right now, the SEC enjoys the catbird seat in college athletics. The Big Ten's right there. Uh, certainly in terms of media rights distribution, the Big Ten is, is, is second to none. But overall, the SEC still swings the, the mightiest stick in, in college athletics. But you can't be complacent because the Big Ten has shown it is willing to add from coast to coast. You know, its conference now stretches from Piscataway to New Jersey to, to Los Angeles. Unlike the SEC, which has very, um, very carefully crafted this, this southern footprint, this southern identity that fits with the, the football brand, the Big Ten says, hey, if, if, we like, if we like your image, if we like what you bring to the table, you could be in Zimbabwe. You're, you're, we'll, we'll bring you into the fold. And so, you know, I think if the ACC were to splinter, I would think the Big Ten would certainly have some interest in coming down the Atlantic coast further than it's ever gone and, and, and trying to grab a foothold into the South and truly being a national conference because you know that's, that's one place where the, the Big Ten has not succeeded in going at this point is, is invading the South. And so I think, as you say, you want to be on the play offense but also defend against the Big Ten there. Um, you know, if this came apart for the ACC, the SEC needs to swoop in and say, hey, Big Ten, stay on, stay on your side of the fence. You're not coming in and, and scooping up these Southern teams. If you, want, uh, if you want Virginia, fine, but that's as far as you go. 
if I were the SEC commissioner, and I've often thought about just that, uh, the Southern Cal UCLA acquisitions would have been a wake-up call, an alarm, if you will. If they'll go get those two programs from the far side of the country, uh, boundaries mean nothing. Why wouldn't they go get uh, Florida State and Clemson? That would be less extreme even. So you're right. You can't just think about how things are now. You have to think how they might could be in 10 years. Um, So, uh, and also, you have to be aware that Notre Dame's sitting out there. I know it's always been an independent, but let's face it. Uh, Notre Dame is in the heart of Big Ten country. You have a lot of Notre Dame fans in Ohio, a lot of Notre Dame fans in Michigan, and you add Notre Dame to that league with having always already acquired Southern California, then you start talking about Florida State and Clemson. Uh, I, I just think about it this way. You, you, you brought up that money is the big deterrent here for Florida State and, and Clemson and anyone else from the ACC that aspires to move elsewhere. Yeah, they're, they're not wanting to move into the Pac-12 and uh, get in bed with their uh, mysterious media rights deal. But uh, Pac-12 <laughs> keeps wanting you to believe they got a big deal right around the corner. It's just right uh, around the corner. Uh, they they just can't quite see it. Yes, yeah, so if they if these schools want to know where they want to go, they either want to go to the SEC or the Big Ten. Those are the only two things you would consider leaving for. Well, what if the SEC paid the bill? picked up the tab you got 16 teams already 16 schools you divide that up of um, of the 120 million dollars too well it would be 240 million dollars you divide that up by you're gonna add clemson and florida state i'm guessing yeah yeah Uh, so you 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 know then it's you're not talking about uh you're not talking about 120 million. I mean, it doesn't look so bad if you split it up eight, uh, 16 ways. How much you would have to, how much you would have to spend. I mean, well, and ESPN's the SEC's media partner anyway, right? You say, hey, look, ESPN. Uh, we know, in. yeah, we we know this is a bad deal for you. These these teams leaving the ACC, they got this media rights deal with you. But we're going to bring them into the fold, of the SEC, where where ESPN is is also the media partner. Yeah. So you, you like three of those teams, John, you like, you like Clemson, Florida state and North Carolina for the sec. Uh, you can't have a 19 team conference really. Well, well, maybe if you're commissioner, you would, would you, I would go with Miami as the fourth. Is that where would, yes. would you round it out with Miami or do yeah. you have any interest in the other three, Virginia, Virginia tech or North Carolina state? Are you saying, uh, have at those three big 10, if you want them. Yeah, I would give those. I would concede those to the Big Ten, and, and best of luck to you uh, scoring more t- more than twenty points a game with Virginia. Um, so uh, some offensive shortcomings with that program right now. The North Carolina State quarterback, what did he do? He transferred to Kentucky. Okay, I mean, what does that tell you? Who's you your lost your, huh? who, who's your who's your alternate, John? If you if if the SEC lost one of those four to the Big Ten. Say so the, the Big Ten uh, scored a coup. They got one of those four. Pried them out of your fingertips. You lost one of the four. Would you Would you grab one of the other three as your alternate? 
Yes, I'd take Virginia Tech. Because they could score maybe more than 20 points in a game. Yeah, and they had Michael Vick, who was pretty fun to watch before he took a bad turn with his dogs. Uh, yeah, I, so I, I just don't – I don't know. I don't know where the ACC thinks it's headed here. You, you go back, and it's you, – you can't get away from its past moves. Uh, incorporating – Syracuse, honestly, I have a hard time naming all the teams in the ACC. They're just so far flung. Uh, yeah, I think that about the Big 12 somewhat, but still, I just get from Miami to Syracuse, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Louisville. I When I think ACC football, basketball, those teams still just are glaring like, why are they in this league? I mean, we talk about how loosely knit the Big 12 is, but there is some history with, with, I guess, with Iowa State and uh, Baylor playing. I, I just, I don't know. It, it's just a, and and I, on Saturdays, if I'm watching a another game outside the SEC, because we spend so much of our time, our TV time, immersed in the SEC, but if I'm watching another game. Um, it's more apt to be a Big Twelve game than an than an ACC game. Well, you like that scoring, don't you? I mean, the Big Twelve is kind of known for. I, I don't. Points. Yeah, and I don't want to. I don't want to see Virginia with the football in its hands. <laughs> <laughs> nope, nobody does. All right, we'll leave the ACC talk there, John, because at least for now, uh, it seems like uh, some some unsatisfaction inside that conference, but not much they can do about it because they're bound by that grant of rights agreement that extends through 2036, which gives them a lot of time to figure out how they can get, get out of it. Speaking of a lot of time to figure things out, the SEC has now had a lot of time, John, to figure out what it wants to do with the future of its conference schedule once Texas and Oklahoma join the league. But we're now just barely more than a year out of Texas and Oklahoma being in the league. And we don't know what the conference schedule is going to look like beyond this season. 2023 is the last year where there's a conference schedule on the books. We've talked numerous times on this this show about how the debate sits with, do you play an eight-game schedule? Do you play a nine-game schedule? It was debated last year at spring meetings. There was no vote. And it's Hot topic number one going into this year's spring meetings, which begin Tuesday in Miramar Beach, Florida. I'll be there to cover it. Uh, You didn't have to twist my arm. One of the best events of the year. I get to slip out to the beach a little bit, too. Uh, But most of my time will be spent inside an an air-conditioned hotel uh, where there's going to be a lot of conversation about these, um, these schedule formats. We don't know for sure that the conference is going to take a vote on this. You know, back in March, I had a conversation with Greg Sankey, and he said this this ought to be decided within 90 days. What he was pointing to there was spring meetings. But then he eased up a little bit in comments to the media in April. He said, could be decided at spring meetings. I think he wants it to be decided at spring meetings. But there still seems to be a struggle to to gain unison behind either eight games or nine games in the league. It still seems like a divided issue. So what's, 
I know you want the more conference games, the better, John. If you had it your way, they'd probably be playing 11 conference games. But as far as I know, that's not on the table. So what's your final pitch here to go from eight to nine? Uh, read your own slogan. The SEC just means more. I mean, but no, we're going to go the opposite way, and we're going to say the SEC, mm, in football it means less, at least when it comes to scheduling. I mean, you're opening yourself up to total ridicule. And I also think um, when you start talking about strength of schedule, when you go to a 12-team playoff field, what's the SEC's trump card? It's strength of schedule because there's so many good teams in this league. And when that selection committee sitting down and said, yeah, the SEC is a strong league, but it could be stronger. They, I mean, why do they only play eight games? It's almost as though they're afraid of losing another game. And so this could hurt their playoff or bowl chances. So, uh, step up to the plate, man up, uh, play nine games and it'll really bolster your strength of schedule. And I think, I think it would really be a mistake on the SEC SEC's part. It really would. I think it would give other conferences a chance to say, "Hey, they they had a chance to strengthen their schedule. Why are they only willing to play? They're a sixteen team league, but they only want to play eight conference games. And then you probably bl- bring up uh, Kentucky's non conference schedule." Anybody from the MAC it can find, perhaps, uh, and most likely from the lower half. Uh, it, it's just a bad look, and it will take a hit nationally if it does that. Yeah, I remember when uh, Nick Saban did his uh, tour day media outlets last year. Late, uh, it was on conference championship Saturday, cam- campaigning for Alabama to get into the the fourteen <laughs> playoff, despite the fact that it had uh, two losses. If I were a, a, a coach from another conference and the SEC was still playing eight games in this future with a 12-team playoff with with six at-large bids, every media opportunity I, I got, I would I would be reminding anyone that would listen, you know, the SEC's over there playing only eight conference games and they play some directional state school from the FCS on top of that. I, I would be reminding folks of that at every turn. Make sure that is just drilled into the playoff selection committee's brains um, because, hey, that's fair is fair, right? And, and you got to campaign to get your teams um, the most attention from the, from the playoff selection committee and, and strength of schedule, you, you would have to think, is, is going to become a really important part of the debate when deciding those final six at-large bids. I think there's going to be you know, a lot of nine and three teams lined up and saying, hey, pick me, pick me for the final spot in the playoffs. I would be letting, if I'm a member of, a, of another conference, say the Big Ten that plays nine conference games and I'm nine and three and there's somebody over there from the, the SEC at, at nine and three playing eight conference games, I'd make sure uh, that every member of that selection committee heard it at, at every opportunity. Also keep in mind, Blake, the SEC is always – Uh, promoted itself as the strongest conference from top to bottom. Nobody would argue that it's the strongest conference, but it also likes to create this image 
despite having Vanderbilt in the league, uh, that from top to bottom on any given Saturday, you can, you can be beaten. So you want to, so that, so you're showing your overall strength as a league and say other teams don't know what it's like to go through this schedule with all these various rivalries. And it's just hard, even though it's a losing team, beating another SEC team means so much. And so when you present yourself that way and then to turn around and say, well, we'll just keep it at eight games because we don't want to go through all that. It seems so contrived as though it's trying to beat the system and, 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 and schedule its way into one more playoff berth. And as you're saying, that's why the rest of the country, and keep in mind also that there's, there's anti-SEC sentiment anyway. There's a back, it's, it's kind of the SEC versus the field. I mean, I know the big 10 is a really good conference, but still I see it more than the rest of the country against the SEC. So that plays into their argument. And I just think when it comes down to that very last at large birth, you don't want to have any negatives. You, you want to have the tiebreaker. And I think the strength to schedule is a tiebreaker for the SEC, but you can't use it if you say, well, we're only going to play eight games, eight conference games. Totally agree. And, and you know, one of the things I don't like about this, John, is that it's all, all these debates are done in closed doors. And, and of course, you know, all of us that, that cover this conference do our reporting and, and try to figure out who's in what camp. And, and you have a general sense of some teams that are on one side and some teams are, that are on the other, but we don't have, it's not like they give you a handout and say, you know, the, these teams are the ones that favor eight and these teams favor nine. Some schools have been brave enough to put their opinion out there on record. Uh, either their athletic director or their coach has said, Here, here's where we stand. But others are, are kind of squeamish, sheepish, about this. I don't like, you know, I wish you had a, you want to play eight games, come out there in a chicken suit, uh, start balking and say, Hey, whatever. I'm a chicken. I want to play eight. I want to get, I want to go to the, the weed eater, the weed eater bowl with a, with a seven and five record play. Uh, oh, who are we going to play in the weed eater bowl, John? Maybe, uh, maybe Houston in a down year, down year for Houston. They get sent to the weed eater bowl. And you can try to beat them to polish off an eight and five season. Like come out there in a chicken suit and and proclaim it, right? Uh, are you old enough to remember the San Diego chicken? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is he still milling about? Can we get him? Yeah, I, I actually did a column on him one time. I think he's retired. Can't remember his. I think his first name might have been Ted, but I I shouldn't say that because it's been too long ago since I, I crossed his path. But uh, yeah, it, it's so. Yeah, the the SEC in one way is so. I mean, it's so macho. It's in your face, and, and it's not just in football, really. When you look at how good it is in so many sports, it's SEC, SEC, and they even chant it after games. I mean, nobody chants the Big Twelve after a game. I mean, how do you how do you chant that anyway? The Big Twelve, the Big Twelve. <laughs> no, ten work. Which SEC coach, John, would look best in the chicken suit? <laughs> Shane Beamer. 
you're given the. I think South Carolina does. They want to stick with eight games. At least they did. Well, uh, when I when dead. I talked to the brass a year ago, as as of last summer, they wanted eight games. So there you go. See if see if he, Shane will throw on the chicken soup. He ha- he has that kind of uh, mascot personality to him. Just just always ju- you know moving around. He's always he's animated on the sidelines after games. He's uh, he's grimacing. He's uh, yeah. So I yeah, that would be great, and he'd be willing to do it. He loved having that mayo poured all over his head after a bowl game. You recently wrote a column, John, with uh, feedback from a, a bunch of Tennessee fans I know on their their most uh, what was it disliked or despised most, SEC. Um, coach. Who's the most Who's the most annoying SEC football coach? Annoying. That's what it was, right? Yeah, and Shane and, Beamer's name came up more than yes, any others in your poll. Huh, yeah, quite a bit. And I, I realized South Carolina wrecked Tennessee's season last year. True. And, Good point. Uh, so that had something to do with it, but they really honed in on Shane Beamer's uh, smirk. And and one of my female contributors even brought up. Uh, sometimes women notice these things more than guys do, but she even brought up. And who's still wearing one of those one of those belts with the metal pointed into it? I thought that was a cheap shot, John. I thought that was a low blow, criticizing a man's belt selection. Yeah, I used to have one of those. (laughs) Did you lend it out to Shane? (laughs) No. And I didn't have it for long, to my credit. I realized, you know, I really don't notice belts that much, but this isn't really a great look. (laughs) Now resides in a closet in Columbia, South Carolina. We'll see if we can get a chicken suit. Headed out that way. Uh, John, one of your favorites was back in the headlines recently. You and Urban Meyer, I know, still exchange annual Christmas cards. I don't know how, m- how much uh, you keep up with, with herbs uh, aside from uh, the holiday exchange of pleasantries. But uh, he was back in the news recently on a podcast. Everybody's got a podcast these days. They even let the two of us have one. And Urban on a pod was was previewing the upcoming season and uh he said don't sleep on texas he said man for man roster for roster it's hard to say texas doesn't have the best roster in college football this is urban meyer former two-time national championship coach for the florida gators former dancing man in your local tavern it's actually his local tavern guess he thought he could do what he wants Turns out he uh, couldn't. Yeah, Rick Patino did. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Just and a president Herbs, there. <laughs> <laughs> now Herbs is available for hire. Well, he says he's not. He says he's enjoying being a grandpap. He's done coaching. But uh, he likes those Texas Longhorns this year. Ulterior motive here or just good solid analysis from uh, your friend from the Christmas card circuit? Keep in mind, because of their Florida connection, Urban Meyer has familiarity with Steve Spurrier. And when I heard that line, I flashed back to uh, Steve Spurrier's the Gators coach when after thumping Georgia, and I think it was in Athens, and Ray Goff, he said, uh, you know, Georgia, Georgia signs all these high school All-Americans. I don't know what happens to them when they get here. 
And of course, Kurt, uh, the then coach Ray Goff wanted to strangle him. Um, so it was just, it, it was a great dagger administered by Spurrier, but, but Urban Meyer, I, yeah, Texas has some talent, but does anybody think of Texas as being Alabama-like, Georgia-like, even Oklahoma-like, or, or Southern Cal, like, or Ohio State, or Michigan-like? No. No, it's the, it's the consistent underachiever, sort of, yeah, well, it should be really good. And here's Urban Meyer just playing, not so subtly, playing into that theme. Uh, why else would he do that if there wasn't an ulterior mo- Why would you think of all the all of the great football programs and all the talent around and say that Texas's roster is equal to any of them? And I, I would think uh, Steve Sarkeesian threw up when he heard that. John, do you buy this idea that Urban Meyer is, is retired from coaching and we've seen the last on, of him on a, on a college sidelines? Or uh, do you think he's lying in wait for, say, whether it be Texas or somewhere else, some job that's big enough for Urban to get uh, off the TV set, off the podcast circuit, and uh, back into a, back into a headset, headset uh, you know, casting his health and his family aside. I, I think Urban Meyer is really good as a college football game day analyst. He's very good. He's not, uh, he's not too cozy with the coaching fraternity. He doesn't mind singling out uh, some mishap, some coaching buffoonery. I think he's fine. Well, he doesn't have any problem with that. Some coaches do as though they're in a fraternity and Hey, it's kind of, you, you never, you never really uh, hit the coach that hard. And the players maybe, but not the coach, but Urban Meyer, I don't know, he doesn't have that problem. Also, when you're that good at what you do, I just, it's hard not to do it. And and I think some people, the counterpoint would be Urban realizes his style of coaching doesn't work now, that he's a bit too, too harsh, a bit too brash, uh, doesn't cater to his players well enough. I don't buy that. Urban Meyer is a fierce competitor, just like Nick Saban. Uh, so when it comes down to it, what are they going to, what matters most to them? It's winning. And if they have to adjust and change their style somewhat to do that, that's exactly what they'll do because they want to win. And I think Urban Meyer would want to win. And when you look at his history, he'll only go somewhere that's a, a championship program in weight. I, I mean, he's not going, he's not going somewhere where he has to build. Even in, even you go back early in his career, he won at Bowling Green in the Mac. Now he was just starting out then, but he goes to Utah and has an unbeaten team and, and a really good team. And, and, uh, a power of five. Now you would perceive it as a, it's a power five conference program. And it was a power five conference team back then. It was that good. And, uh, I think he went to Utah. One of the reasons he went there, he knew he could win there and he did. And then of course, Florida, he could have gone to Notre Dame. No, I can win more at Florida. Uh, 
Then he goes to Ohio State. I mean, he goes to the powerhouse programs. And if Steve Sarkeesian falters in this expanded SEC, I mean, come on. Aren't aren't some aren't some of the boosters gonna say, I don't care if Urban Meyer had a lap dance in his own restaurant slash bar. I, I, I don't care what a some assistant coach on his staff at Ohio State did. Uh, he can win. He's a sure winner. And and I just think you would have to consider him. It makes me think of that scene in Seinfeld, John, where uh, George has sexual relations with the maid and uh, gets <laughs> called into the, the office by the boss and says, was that wrong? You know, had had anyone told me that that kind of thing was frowned upon, he wouldn't have done that. I guess he can't you see Urban sitting down with a few Texas boosters. Had anyone told me that in my own bar, uh, couldn't have a little, little dance and fun and discreetness. Yeah, Maybe and it wasn't like, was, yeah, was it, that wrong? I, it, yeah, and it, Urban could say, hey, it wasn't like I recruited her to come over there. She did it of her own volition. It wasn't Bobby Petrino. I, he didn't hire. Yeah, not, he didn't hire the football staff and throw her on the back of a motorcycle. I'm some not woman chasing, he picked up in a bar. I'm not chasing some co-ed. I mean, let's face it. I'm a pretty good-looking guy. You know, I think the bigger hit to Urban's uh, reputation when it came to football, John, was uh, not so much what happened in his his bar and was was caught on cell phone camera, but what happened uh, to his coaching tenure with the Jacksonville Jaguars, his very brief coaching tenure there. Team was abysmal in uh, 2021, and the players didn't like him, or at least the players that uh, spoke seemed to not like him. Had the issue with uh, with the kicker on that team. To me, that was like the bigger, from a football sense, that was the bigger reputational hit. And we've seen coaches struggle in the NFL before, come back to college, and and it's and it's on like gangbusters. It's like the NFL thing never happened. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It the shine came off a little bit there. I, I thought with the NFL implosion, I don't know that the shine's completely off. And I think with the right program, certainly he could he could re- rekindle his his successful college ways. I do I do think he might have to change a little bit with his uh, you know he urban is king and. Uh, Everybody else get in line. Hard to do in in this this era of college athletes. So he he may have to evolve a bit. But yeah, boy, a program like Texas and Urban Meyer. Mm. Well, uh, another way to look at that is uh, Urban, and I'm going back to his Florida days. He didn't seem too preoccupied with what his players might do off the field. I think that's fair uh, assessment. Yeah. That, might, that might be the understatement you've ever made, John. <laughs> so, so I mean, a selling point to players: Hey, you're here to play football. You want to go to the NFL? I'll I'll help you play football, and I'll get you to the NFL. What you do in your in your time, your own time, that's your business. I'm not, uh, you know, I, I'm not a father figure. I'm not a role model. I'm not you. I'm not trying to shepherd you along life's way and develop your character. Your character's developed. Uh, kind of the old Barry Switzer approach. 
at Oklahoma worked pretty well for him. And there were some incidents off the field. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, so surely somebody that wants to win as much as he could, as he does could could evolve a little bit, could do what it takes to win. Let's bring it full circle, John, which happens faster. Florida State and Clemson wind up in the SEC, or Urban Meyer is back as the head coach of a college football program, which which happens first. Urban Meyer's back. You heard it here first. <laughs> I'll be down at the SEC spring meetings next week. Don't shed a tear for me. But if you want to loan me some sunscreen, I'll sure take it. Sorry you won't be there, John, but I'll I'll give you the full report on what's well, happening. One of my best memories of uh, of SEC spring media days, and I think I've told this before, was we're talking about Urban Meyer. It was back when Tim Tebow was playing at Florida. My f- wife was a huge fan. We're on the elevator. We stop on the floor. Coming down to the first floor, Urban Meyer gets on, goes down one floor, gets off. I said, hey, Urban, how's it going? He said, fine, how are you? That was the only exchange. Afterward, my wife said, I wanted to tell him how much I love Tim Tebow, but I was scared to death of him. He's kind of got that uh, Russian hitman look about him, I think. Uh, so my wife was absolutely petrified, and she couldn't tell Urban how much uh, she loved Tim Tebow. And I don't think Urban really cared what happened to us in the elevator he was he had to move down one floor and he was out of there well i'll be on the lookout for urban in florida next week i'll be on the lookout for any uh florida state north carolina clemson etc officials that might be uh lurking around in the shadows as well and we will be back with you soon thanks for listening to this edition of sec football unfiltered Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.